Let's try that again. Say hello. Now she does what it's like. Uh, what I love about real life is, well, lots of things. Uh, the thing I love about real life is that it is very simple. I love that it's just so open to everybody and everything. I love the community at real life. I love the community at real life. The authentic connection that we have had. I love volunteering at Real Life because it's super easy to get involved. I have only been going for a couple months, but it's been really easy for me to find community and get connected with people. I feel uh, welcomed and encouraged to learn more about Jesus and his life and to share that with others. I believe that people should go to Real Life because it's just a really good church and, I mean, there's no harm in checking it out. You know, if they're, if they're looking for a church home where they can really belong. It's really easy to find a community and find people to do life with. If you're looking to deepen your faith or meet some other open-minded people, you should check out Real Life. I just wanted to thank the Real Life staff, Billy, Kyle, uh, Graham. You guys are all just fantastic. <laughs> Kyle and Graham, we go back a long way. Kyle and Graham, they give so much time to real life. Um, thank you for the work you're doing. Graham has been an awesome inspiration for us kids. You guys do an amazing service in the community here. Great job. Uh, I think the first 10 years has been pretty great, and I'm looking, uh, looking very much forward to the second 10 years. So keep up the good work, guys. My name is Luke Wall. My name is Tyler Allen. My name is Noah Compton. My name is Steve Simmons. My name is Marcia Mullet. I'm Bruce Todd. And I'm Kim Todd. My name is Hilary Richmond. My name is Carlos. My name is Macy. And cheers. 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 Cheers to 10 years. Cheers to 10 years. Cheers to 10 years of real life. 10 years of real life. See ya. Love ya. Bye. Bye. <laughs> well, good morning. That see you, love you, bias copyrighted. Someone's going to lose their job <laughs> over that. Listen, uh, we're, like I said, we're going to spend uh, the next month celebrating uh, what God's done, putting real life together. Uh, welcome if you're watching online. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, if you are in Brewster, uh, welcome Brewster. Um, Chelan people aren't real pleased with you. We know that Maybe there was a football game and something happened. I'm not sure. I didn't hear the outcome. So we'll assume that Shalane won. Congratulations, Shalane Goats. Uh, close game, good game. Uh, so listen, way before, hey, how'd that start? Look at us. Uh, we're having, listen, some of you have been around a while, right? Some of you were here before the 10 years began at Real Life. Some of you have been attending long enough to remember the F-word incident of 2013. Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, uh, next week, I'll tell you about that, okay? If you're new and like, F-word incident, yeah, just stay with me, okay? Not everything, believe it or not, not everything every Sunday has gone smoothly here at Relay. And this would be one of those Sundays as well. Uh, if you knew the chaos behind the curtain uh, and what's going on, you would just be so impressed with Everybody else but me who's doing lots of stuff to make this happen, all right? But really, really, real life began way before 10 years ago. In fact, it began four or five years before the 10 years. Uh, I think it was somewhere around 2008, 2009, and I was reading this book by Donald Miller. And to be honest with you, 
Um, bam. Uh, to be honest with you, I was uh, trying to find my way in the world at the time. I had gotten out of youth ministry. I didn't really know what was next. And I was a little bit lost. And um, I read this quote. Donald Miller says, uh, the truth is, if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. So I made the mistake of my daughter was home, I think uh, after her first year in, in college, my oldest one, and I said, Aubrey, what do you think of this? Donald Miller says in this book that whatever makes a good story makes a good life. And I said, what do you think of that? And we had a conversation about that. And like, when you go and watch a movie, all the things that make a good movie, make a good movie, probably are the things that make a good life also. And so we had a little talk about it. Well, fast forward about three or four weeks, and she uh, got tired of coming home from work and seeing me sitting in my recliner doing nothing, and then leaving for work and seeing me sitting in my recliner doing nothing. She probably got tired of her mom saying, I'm not sure what's wrong with dad. He's kind of lost his way a little bit. And, and so um, she walks in one day, and she says, hey, dad, remember that Donald Miller book? And I said, yeah. She says, uh, well, we talked about story in life and says... Uh, Dad, I don't think you're writing a very good story. I don't think your life right now is a very good story. So I said, well, you're ugly. <laughs> I just thought, I got all middle school boy on myself. You know, like, yeah, I'll tell, show you. Man, she was so right. So I spent the next four years leading Celebrate Recovery, 12-step recovery program. I was leading it, and I had no idea that I was a member, and it was just God was working me over through that process. The start of that, of even being at a place to even think about planting a church, I was so far from that. And God took about four years to get me to the point and then bring other people into my life to make that happen. I'll share all that with you next week. But like I've talked before, maybe you remember this guy, sometimes it takes a drastic leap of faith or a drastic movement in order to make a difference. This is Larry Walters, the lawn chair guy. And you've heard of him before, I bet. Uh, Larry Walters in 1982, uh, and man, everybody knew about it. It was all over the news. Lived down in Southern California, and he was stuck, not enjoying his best life. And he always wanted to be a pilot and uh, something in the military kept him from doing that. And so uh, one day he gets this idea. You've heard of this guy, I think. He's just got a lawn chair. And he decides to tie 50-some weather balloons on it. He thought, now he was wise, right? He loaded up a pellet gun just in case, um, some sandwiches, a CB radio, and a six-pack of beer. So he was ready for his journey. He was ready. He had done all the research. So he thought when they cut loose the straps, and he, he had his girlfriend running the camera, that he would just, uh, oh, go back. Uh, uh, he would just float up, oh, a couple dozen feet or so, maybe 50 feet. Hang out there a little bit, wave to his friends, shoot a couple of the balloons with his pellet gun, and then land safely back to earth. When they cut the straps, he, nope, go back. When he cut the straps, he went up to 16,000 feet. Now, I'm no a astronaut or a pilot, 
that's really high. And he got so scared. Uh, uh, everything that he had planned. He lost his sandwiches. He, he dropped his radio. His girlfriend got so scared, she, she drops the video cam. They don't even get this on video. They, they, they got a piece of it, but she didn't even get it. Thank God he was able to drink his beer before he got help, all right? <laughs> so it got so bad, he floated into the, 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 the path of LAX uh, uh, airport pilots coming in. You can imagine that conversation. Uh, tower, we got a guy drinking a beer up here. In the plane? No, he's in a lawn chair, all right? So he comes down safely. They even, they even uh, uh, got some F-14s up there or whatever. They, I mean, they were, it was like a big thing. So he finally gets down safely to, to uh, land, and he gets arrested. I guess you can't tie balloons to a lawn chair and fly 16,000 feet. Uh, uh, um, gets arrested. And when they were taken away, because this was a big deal down in L.A., and all the reporters and everything, uh, uh, KTLA was there, and, and, and uh, uh, all of them were there. And they said to him, while they were taking him away, hey, Larry, why would you tie that many balloons to a lawn chair and soar up to 16,000 feet? What the heck? And he said, listen, a man can't just sit around. Now listen, some of us have been sitting around forever. Some of us have been stuck. I know what it feels like to be stuck. For months and years, sometimes for days, where you're like, ah, I don't like my situation. I don't like the world around me. Come on. How many, anyone lived through COVID or the pandemic or any lockdowns? It's just like, ah, someone else is calling the shots. But it's different when you're calling the shots and you're locked down. You're like, I wish my life could be different. I should do something about my life. I'm going to do something about my life. And then you just sit there. Listen, sometimes a giant leap in life takes a drastic decision. I don't think you need to get in a, a lawn chair and tie balloons to it. But you may be on the edge here. And September is a good time. Back to school, new stuff. This is a good time to say, okay, what? What is out there? What can I do? What leap could I take that can make a difference in the direction of my life, in my family's life, people I care about, my church's life? What would that look like? Now, some of you over 10 years ago, there was about 30 of you that jumped in a lawn chair, you idiots. Uh, uh, I said, hey, I got this lawn chair. And I wasn't, listen, when I talk about real life, uh, Whatever blame there is in, in, w along the way, I'm not going down alone, okay? I said, hey, Darlene, should we start a church? And she says, let's do it. Then I said to the, uh, Ben and April Williams and Steve and Kaylee Simmons, hey, what do you guys think about starting a church? They said, let's do it. So whatever bad idea is, we all go down together on that one, all right? But we put together this lawn chair, and we picked a logo, and we picked the colors, and we, we didn't have any idea what we were doing. We didn't. We didn't have a sending agency. We didn't have a funding agency. We had no idea. All we knew was God was calling us to start a church for people who are far from God to find real life in Christ. And we were going to do that in Chelan. So some of you jumped in there 30 years ago. We, remember, we're at the senior center. And like you showed up and like, Kyle, what are we going to do? And I said, I don't know. 
Uh, it was two weeks before the first service where I didn't know what the band, I didn't, we didn't have a band, we didn't, we, didn't, we didn't know anything. We had a place to meet. Thank you, school district. So all we knew was this is what God was calling us to do. How we were going to do it, we didn't know. We had to figure that along the way. But listen, just off the top here. It was never our intention to plant and grow a church. It was always our intention to reach a community. Ten years ago, next week, we started doing that. Four years ago, we, next week, we started that in Brewster. Nobody was thinking, let's see how big a church we can get. Let's fill it up with just a bunch of Christians. We like Christians. We are one. But at the same time, as we always, our intention was to reach the community, whether they showed up in a seat here on Sunday or not. So that's what we're about. Said it more crassly, you've heard me say this before, we want to make it impossible to get to hell from the Lakeland Valley or the Quad Cities. We say it all the time. We would like to reach all of eastern Washington. Um, we want to go up, up the river, up through Winthrop and Twist eventually to Tanaska, and we get to Canada. They are on their own, all right? We're not responsible for them, all right? <laughs> but here's the thing. This hasn't been the easiest journey for lots of reasons. And it never is. When you decide to take a leap of faith, I remember Darlene and I and uh, Dr. Steve Simmons went to a church planning conference a couple months before we launched. And I remember sitting there listening and uh, the guys up front, gals up front, were talking about how to plant churches and what to be aware of and blah, blah, blah. And I remember saying, listen, if you're just starting out now, you don't know the pain that's in front of you. The people you start with won't be the people you end with. And I'm like, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't know my people. You don't know the group I'm with. I had no idea the truth of that statement. That I thought, hey, God called us to do this, so we're just going to cruise until Jesus comes. That was not the case. Because it's difficult. Whenever you take a big leap of faith, whenever you take a huge step, it's very difficult. There's all kinds of stuff that can get in your way. We have attempted to eliminate the stuff that would get in the way of people who are far from God, first time to church, haven't been to church in a long time, we have tried to eliminate the stuff that gets in the way from the pure love and call of Jesus. But that that's, hasn't always been the case. I don't feel so bad. Because in the first century, they had a problem. There's always a problem with Christians. Listen, if you're a Christian, you might get offended in the next couple minutes, and probably because you're guilty, all right? Uh, but just remember, I am one too, and I am guilty as well. But the problem is, in the first century... Remember, Jesus shows up on the earth. For three years, he does his ministry. At the end of that three years, he gives up his life as a sacrifice. The sin that separates us from God had to be dealt with. Jesus gave his life on the cross to do that. Then, three days later, he rose from the grave to prove he wasn't just some dude. And then he ascended into heaven. And he said, go get him. I'll be back. And so the message of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, spread throughout the known world. There was people, it started with the, the, the disciples that were left and then spread to other people. And things were going great until the church people started to get involved. And what happened was uh, 
a group of people decided, yes, put your faith in Jesus. Faith alone in Christ alone, we call that grace. Jesus taught about it. Paul writes about it. The New Testament is full of that. Faith alone in Christ alone. But, but, you had to also be Jewish in order to be a follower of Jesus. And like, wait a minute, we got a problem here. The teaching was faith alone in Christ alone. But then all these Jews that were spreading the message says, yeah, but still, all this stuff from the Old Testament, all this law and stuff, we're not getting rid of that. We're bringing that with us. And so what, what happened was there was a group, let's call them the, circ, the, circ, <laughs> the circumcision party. It's easy to stumble over that word because it's not a very uh, a gentle word to talk about, all right? That there was a bunch of them that said, yes, you put your faith in Jesus, now guess what? In order to prove you're really a follower of Jesus, you have to become Jewish and be a follower of Jesus. Come on. Can you imagine that today? Some, I give an invitation. I say, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, raise your hand. You know, raise your hand. And I say, okay, now the surface is over. Everyone that raised their hand, especially you men, come down front. We have a little uh, prayer. <laughs> Party. Listen, middle schoolers, if you don't know what I'm talking about, ask Pastor Graham, all right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, come on. These are grown men who give their life to Jesus, and then someone comes along and said, hey, you got to do what an eight-year-old Jew, uh, an eight-day-old Jewish boy does in order to be a follower of Jesus. And all the main leaders of, of, of uh, the church said, no, that's not right. So they bring in all, I mean, this was a big deal. They call in all the big leaders to Jerusalem. Uh, everybody's there. Paul shows up. Paul, who used to be a terrorist and persecutor of Christians, then becomes one of the greatest missionaries of all time. And he's out, and he stands up and he tells his story. Listen, we've shared Jesus to Gentiles all over the place. Non-Jewish people throughout the world are giving their lives to him. Why would we impose this extra thing? Peter shows up and he says, listen, my ministry is to mainly Gentiles. I was called to a ministry to Gentiles. We know that the Old Testament law didn't work anyway. All y'all sitting here in this meeting in Jerusalem, you know that following all the, the laws didn't get you anything. All it produced was guilt and then more sacrifice and more guilt and more sacrifice. And Jesus came as a one-time sacrifice for all to remove the guilt of sin for everybody. Why are we going back? Then James stands up. James plays a key part for two reasons. He's a brother of Jesus. That means something. But he's also kind of the main man in Jerusalem, the main minister, and probably working with more Jewish people than the rest of the guys. And they want everyone to be followers of Jesus. But he stands up and he says, listen, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, may, you may be here visiting out of town. It's Labor Day weekend. Th thanks for coming. You're welcome to come anytime. Uh, this may be your first time to church in a long time. You may live locally. I'm telling you, the reason we started Real Life 10 years ago next week is because we wanted to make it easy for people to hear the clear message of Jesus without any distraction or anything added on. Now, I'm not putting down other churches We've said from the start, 
This is how we do church. We're not saying it's the only way, and we're not saying it's the only right way. There's lots of ways to do church. But for us, on Sunday morning, we want to introduce people to Jesus, and we want to remove whatever distractions that would get in the way. Now, thank God, and all the men will say amen. We don't have a circumcision mandate in the 21st century. All right? Uh, But there is a problem. The Christian problem in the 21st century isn't a circumcision party roaming around looking for uh, people to convert. Uh, uh, Maybe maybe it's a little more difficult than that. And it's, it's more hidden. Because you spend two minutes Googling, just Google, just type in Christian in in your Google and see what comes up. You spend two minutes just talking about people who don't go to church. You're sitting on a plane next to somebody and you just mention Christianity and see what the feedback is. Why why is there seems to be a negative feedback? And the problem's been around for a while. Remember, you've seen the quote before. um, When... uh, Gandhi says, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And immediately, as a father of Jesus, which I've been almost my entire life, I get a little bit defensive about that. But 10 years ago, I started asking, why is that? Why is that when I mention people I'm a pastor or I work for a church, immediately they want to run or they want to change the subject or they don't want to talk about it? What is it in people's background or in our society that makes people push away or see a problem with Christianity? Why is it when Peter says, speaking to followers of Jesus, you all are God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he's made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. That is good news. Why is it so difficult to get that out. What is standing in the way? What's the problem in the 21st century with followers of Jesus? Why that message is getting muffled? Now, right away, we think, um, well, we have an, we have an Im- image problem, right? That CNN is picking on us. Maybe so. MSNBC puts Christianity down. Hillary Clinton, uh, whatever. Okay, all right, maybe. Maybe. I think it's more that we have an integrity problem. I just want to give three things real quick why that's true. Listen, is, are there entities and people who are anti-Christian and anti-church and anti-Jesus? Yeah. But is that the problem that gets in the way between you and people you know who are far from God from understanding the love of Jesus? All right, I'm going to move pretty quick because I think these are like, if, you're, if this is your first time to church or first time to church in a long time or you're a follower of Jesus, I think most of us are going to say, yeah, that's true. For example, circumcision doesn't get in the way, but judgmental Christians do. And, and, and really, inwardly, you said amen because you're thinking about somebody other than you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, yeah, Christians can be judgmental. Well, how about you? How about you? Why is, it, why is it that we have decided as Christians, and again, take two minutes, look on social media. Look on your social media. Why, why do we think as Christians that it's our job to condemn unchurched people for their sexual habits, their lifestyle choices, their political views? They're not followers of Jesus. 
Never in Scripture, never in the New Testament are we called to judge people outside the church, outside of Christianity. Why have we decided that it's our job to call that out? Well, sin is sin. Okay. But when you make, you start calling out people, an individual, or large groups of people, you know what? The only people that should be judging are the four dudes that sit in the soft couch up at the, the surf pool judging the Continental Cup uh, uh, yesterday and today. Go up there. Full of people. You should go up there see it. It's amazing. But those guys are the judges. They were asked to say, watch that gal or guy surf and then give them a score. Jesus never said to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, watch all the unbelievers' behavior and you deliver a score and you deliver if they're good or bad or how they should act or, or your feelings about them. So somewhere along the way, we have become a judgy type of group. We have set ourselves up to be the standard and then we think everyone else should follow the standard, even though they haven't signed up for the standard. They're not followers of Jesus. They never claim to be. I doubt it's what Jesus had in mind when he gave his life in love and called us to be people of love. My limited 59 years on this earth, very few people, in my experience, get judged into life change. Temporarily, maybe. Make people feel so guilty they'll stop doing something for a while. Far more people, in my experience, far more get loved into it. Judging, criticizing, calling out, I don't think that's a long-time solution to helping people discover the love of Jesus. In fact, I think judging the world is God's job, not mine. The presence of judgment almost always guarantees an absence of love. It's like that megaphone guy. My daughter Aubrey, a couple years ago, called me and said, Dad, I'm downtown. It's Gay Pride Week, downtown Boise and everything. There's a bunch of Christians down here, and there are megaphones just shouting mean things. Like, whatever you feel about Gay Pride Week or whatever, okay, that's fine. Have your feelings about it. What kind of loving testimony is it to be shouting mean stuff at people? And when you pick up a megaphone instead of a relationship, you are setting back the cause of Christ for decades. Now, you're here this morning again, offense alert. If you're sitting here, wait a minute, I'm not judgy. You may not be. God bless you. God bless you. I would, ask, I would ask your spouse or your kids or your best friend how judgy you are. It's hard to see judgy in a mirror. I would ask. Two, not just judgmental. You know what the next one is? Hypocritical. Christians are labeled to be hypocrites all the time. And we know that hypocrisy is you say one thing and do the other. Again, this is easier to call out in somebody else than, than yourself. This is really tough. To ask someone else to act or believe or talk a certain way, and then you are just the opposite. Listen, I know I'm a hypocrite. I know that my 
life does not always match my words. The things I do don't always match my words. That is why it's so dangerous to have a real life sticker on your vehicle. Now listen, maybe you don't care. I care. Like when I drive my truck, there's a real life sticker on there. I can't flip anybody off. I can't yell at the tourists that walk across the street by Red Apple Market between Lakeview Drive and Red Apple Market, and there's no crosswalk. <laughs> and I'm like, the reason I get so mad is because I care about those people. No, no, that's not it. That's hypocrisy. I'm mad because they shouldn't be crossing there. Yeah. Now, I'm thinking about getting a Livingstone sticker. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Or Church of the Nazarene? <laughs> I know. I know I can be hypocritical. I know I am. So when people say Christian's hypocritical, the best response is yes, and I'm working on it. I'm not what I want to be in my life yet. Listen, I think you can even talk to my wife and kids. Um, I'm not who God wants me to be, but I'm different than I used to be. I'm changing for the better. I think Jesus is working, working on me, but I'm not, I'm not there. I'm never going to be there. I find that the more humility, which is really difficult for me, the more humility I add to my words, the smaller the gap is between who I am and what I do. If you're a follower of Jesus, and all the non-believers here would agree, if you knew to say amen, you would. When you admit your shortcomings, you build a bridge between you and other people. Just admit, just admit. Yeah, I tend to lose my temper. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that about that person. Yeah, I drive too fast. Yeah, I hate tourists. I mean, whatever it is for you. I don't hate tourists. When you admit, yet you're not perfect, everyone else says, okay. Yeah, because we thought you were. We thought you claimed to be. But we say, no, we're not. Listen, here's quick. It rhymes. You can remember it really quick, and then I'm moving on. Accelerate your walk. Really work on how you act and humble your talk. Get going and doing the right things. Listen, Jesus loves you even if you're a mess up. Jesus loves you even when you're not perfect. Jesus died for your messes. But if you want to have an influence on people far from God, accelerate the way you live and then be humble in the way you talk. So being judgmental, being hypocritical gets in the way of the message of Jesus. One last one. We struggle relationally. We struggle relationally. It's easier to pick up a megaphone and yell at people instead of stopping and having a conversation, having coffee, hanging out with them. The dude in Leavenworth that yells through the megaphone, the people downtown Boise that yell through a megaphone, that's not ministry. That's not the love of Jesus. That's judgmental and hypocritical. Put down your megaphone, stop posting, and start talking, have a relationship with someone. Peter says, live an exemplary life in your neighborhood, just right around you. 
so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join you in the celebration when Jesus comes back, when he arrives. Start having your actions match your words so you have a relationship with people around you. Now, most of us would say we're one of two things, right? We're too busy or we're too afraid. Both are true. Stop it. That's good counseling right there. Hey, I'm just too busy. Okay, stop being too busy. I can't, you just don't understand. Yeah, I do. Cut something out. No, and then there's a lot of fear, right? Or I, I'm just too afraid. What was, what's going to happen? What do I say? What do people think about me? What am I going to do? I don't know, but going back to our last uh, series, and if you didn't get to enjoy it, you can jump online and enjoy it. I think those are excuses. Those aren't reasons. We struggle relationally. Most interactions non-Christians have with Christians are situational and observational. People far from God sit back and they watch you if you claim to be a follower of Jesus. They watch you. They watch how you enact. They watch what you say. They watch what you do. And listen, people will never believe you love them if they feel like you don't even like them. It's really tough. It's really tough. Most of us want to hang out with the same friends. Most of us want to hang out with just our Christian friends. I know we're, on, I know we're not all in the same, but we're all over the place. But if the goal is introducing people to the love of Jesus, that is life-changing today and life-changing for all eternity, then maybe it would be good just individually, just on our own, wherever you're at, to just check out where you are in those three areas. Here's some next steps. There's a blue card that we uh, hand out in our bulletins in Brewster and in Schlant. And if you're online, we have them online too. You can go to the website, go to the app, and find everything you need there. The next steps we always include to you because we want you to do something with what you, you heard. All right? We don't want you to be hypocritical. We don't want you to sit on a Sunday and nod and like, mm, yeah, Kyle, you're right, and then go out and do the opposite. All right? So, first of all, step number one, evaluate your difficulty quotient. How difficult a person are you? Listen, the reason you'll give is like, that's just my personality. And I'm telling you, that's an excuse. I lived most of my life being direct with people and honest with people. That's what I thought. I was being a jerk to people. I was controlling people. But I'm like, that's my personality. I just say it as it is. That's an excuse. That's not a reason. If someone comes along and says, you know what, just be yourself. No, don't be yourself if you're a jerk. <laughs> Stop being yourself. All right? I had to come to that conclusion on my own. I couldn't continue operating and carrying on the same way for the sake of my wife, for the sake of my kids, and certainly for the sake of the staff here or future ministry. How difficult are you? Are you judgy, hypocritical? Are you distant? Do you accept other people who look differently than you, believe differently than you, vote differently than you, marry differently than you? What's your difficulty quotient? Listen, this stuff's tough for me. I don't naturally... 
run to people to start relationships. Darlene and I showed up to the uh, Continental Cup surf um, contest yesterday because um, I was in the semifinals, and um, <laughs> I got second. I show up there. The reason I showed up there is because I like the place. It's super cool. The Bordeners put together something in our little town that is just phenomenal. I like watching. But the reason I showed up, because my wife wanted to go. So when we showed up at 2.30, and then we left at 7. That's husband of the year right there. As I sat there, I'm not the kind... I'm not Andrew Cowan. Andrew can talk to anybody at any time. As I watched them, peer, uh, uh, stalk them, he and Renee, they talk to everybody. They are everybody's friend. And I, I, that's not me. I say all the time that I am by personality an introvert and by profession an extrovert. I love standing here, waving my arms around and saying loud things and everything and say, hey, look at, look at me. And then I could just get in my truck and leave. It's really difficult for me. To build relationships with people, period, is difficult for me. To build relationships with people far from God, that much more difficult for me. So there may be a leap for you, and I understand the leap. It happens, you guys, sorry to say, almost every Sunday. When I'm up front and, you, and I greet you, you're like, man, Kyle, he's a friendly guy. Nope, I'm working as hard as I can. <laughs> like, oh, man, Kyle's really excited to see me. Nope, they pay me to say that. It's just hard for me, you guys. What's your difficulty quotient? What gets in the way? Two, choose to invest and invite. We use this phrase a lot, a lot. I would call on you to take that leap. To If you decide that real life is your church home, this is the place you're going to find community and enter in. And we're going to have lots of challenges for you through the entire month. I would just encourage you to start investing and inviting other people to join you in the journey. Like be radically invitational. And you're not asking them to sell their house. You're not even asking them to commit their life to Jesus or or, or give any money or anything. You're just inviting them to come to a place where we think most people far from God or unchurched are at least going to be treated fairly and understand what's going on. We believe that this is the best place to invite people in Lakeland Valley or the Quad Cities up in Brewster, if you're far from God or you're not church, this is an easy place to show up and understand. And that's why we plan it and program it the way we do. Third, I would love for you to make a decision about Jesus based on his love for you, not the followers that you have encountered. If you're online sitting in Brewster, sitting here in Chelan, and yet you're not, have not yet decided to put your faith in Jesus, and maybe you've been coming for a while, maybe it kind of looks like this, that you're on the edge, that whatever this is, this may be a lot of things, and we'll talk about it in the next few weeks. Maybe you're on the edge of jumping in and volunteering or deciding to come to real life on a regular basis, all right? Maybe you're on the edge of a major decision. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe... Maybe you're going to ask someone to marry you. Maybe you're going to ask someone to stop dating you. Well, I mean, maybe they're big decisions, all right? Maybe you're getting married soon. Maybe you're getting married in a, in a week from yesterday. What, I mean, maybe you're getting married. 
Whatever that is, as Byron considers marrying Abby, Byron, that's you on the edge of the cliff, brother. (laughs) And someone's either going to push you off, that's my job, or you're going to jump. Listen, when you jump, super scary. If you've been coming or you hear this for the first time, you're like, I have never considered Jesus. I didn't know that my sin separated me from God for all time. I didn't know that I'm in deep trouble eventually going on my own. I know I need a Savior. I never considered that it was Jesus. But I'm afraid what that means. I'm afraid to take that leap. I don't know what's on the other side. Now, there's lots of decisions like that. But the big one today is, are you going to follow Jesus? Are you going to trust Jesus with your life, even though you don't understand everything, that you would believe the main thing, and that is Jesus is the Savior. And without Jesus, without trusting Jesus, you are lost and separated and distant from Almighty God, now and forever. It doesn't make you evil. doesn't make you unlovable. It makes you lost. But you can jump because Jesus catches you. Jump. Leap. There's a safety net. There's a bridge. Jump. There's a lot of challenges ahead in the next few weeks. What leap of faith would you need to take? And it's not so much a leap of faith when you know that Jesus catches you. It's a leap of faith if there's no net. It's a leap of faith that's like, I think I can jump 20 feet across. That's like, ah, that's not very smart. But when you consider that Jesus is the one that's going to catch you, that Jesus is the one that calls you to leap, that's a great decision. Because listen, a man can't just sit around. You can't stay stuck on the edge the rest of your life. Maybe this is your day. Maybe this is your time to jump. I'm going to turn the service back over to Billy and Brewster. Thanks, Bill. And she'll let us all pray together. God, thanks. Faith is so confusing sometimes and Christianity and church and Christianity and politics, Christianity and relationships, all that stuff gets so jumbled up, God. And so I ask for real simple clarity for each one of us. That we're followers of Jesus, we're motivated to be Jesus, to be light and love to people. And for those of us here this morning that are still contemplating that, just hearing it for the first time, God, I ask that you would motivate us to take the step that asks you, Jesus, to be in our life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for being here. Listen, thanks so much. Have a great Sunday. Go up, watch the Surf Cup, but make your plans now to be back here next Sunday. It's the biggest party in 10 years. See ya. Love ya. Bye.